It's football and other upwards. I'm your host, or I was your host, Mr. Lebowski. I guess I'm your host again. That's right. Well, at least for today. So hello. I hope you're doing well. Even though it says Zach Lyons under my name on the stream. Yeah, I don't know who this Lebowski character is. I what what are you talking about, Zach? <laughs> Zach Lyons here and uh our former <laughs> host who sounded a lot like me, who has not been on here for like nine and a half months it's been long enough just to have a baby and as you can see like a, a grand piano behind me with the filter i'm using uh no i do not have a baby by the way let me just go ahead and get that out of the way have i thoroughly butchered this opening enough yeah michael i mean it's better than any opening to the mike herndon show that has ever existed so you're doing great so far <laughs> michael thank you for having me on it's good to be back at least for one episode I, absolutely. I'm excited to hear your voice back in podcast form here. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm also excited to uh, to do the Jaspers ad here at the beginning because Zach always hogs all the all the love for ja Jaspers. He never lets me uh, praise the good folks over there at uh, the next evolution of the sports bar Jaspers uh, over on West End. Um, great place to watch uh, the Titans, you know, lose games uh also great ways great place to watch predators uh some world cup action if you want to sneak away from work and go uh dive into some some international soccer like we're uh we'll, we'll talk about the world cup a little bit more later but uh it's just a great place to go eat food uh drink drinks and uh watch sports so uh go check out jaspers anytime you get the chance michael what's wrong with the titans I mean, honestly, like, I kind of felt like the Titans, they are the same team that they have been all season. It's, it just comes down to when you don't convert in the red zone and you're the, you, when you play football the way the Titans do, you're just not going to win. Like, unless your defense just plays out of its mind. And, and they didn't. Like, the Titans defense didn't have their best game, obviously, in this in this one. They it had several instances with the Bengals backed up with bad field position and they were able to, they kind of like let them out of the cage a little bit uh, a few times, but overall just not a, a wonderful performance by the defense and a really bad red zone showing from a team that's generally the best red zone team in the NFL. Um, and that's what you get. You get 20 to 16 loss and, and, you know, frankly, Titans are kind of fortunate. They were that that game was as, close as it was uh in my opinion because they got bullied on both sides of the line of scrimmage didn't convert in the red zone didn't create any turnovers only had one sack they just didn't do a lot in that game uh that we're used to seeing from them like that they lost in a very uncharacteristic way and yet a way that felt completely <laughs> on brand for the titans and in, in, in both ways like i, I don't know how hey, so i guess let's Let's start with the defense. I was going to start with the run game, but I want to start with the defense first because um, I think most Titans fans, myself included, are, are used to seeing this. Okay, look, we know the offense is probably going to be anemic looking, but this, you know, dynamic, good, dominant defense looked not great Sunday. And they were giving up, you know, if Ben not break turned into just Ben, Ben, Ben breaking the red zone. And it wasn't. It wasn't a great defensive performance to watch. Yeah, it, it was um, a little mm -hmm. disappointing. They, they, uh, the rushing defense particularly was disappointing. You know, they, they, 
allowed uh, – it's not like Samaj Piran went off um, necessarily, but he definitely did more damage than, than any running back has in the past, you know, two months against this team. Um, and I thought P. Ryan played really well, but they missed way too many tackles. David Long missed a ton of tackles. Imani Hooker missed several tackles. I think Tier Tart had a few misses. There were opportunities, I felt like, for them to get him on the ground at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield at times, and he just was able to run through a tackle or make a guy miss and get out in open space. So, you know, the Titans really – their defense is predicated on they stop the run – get you into third and long, and then they pin their ears back and, and come after you with all, all sorts of manners of, you know, complicated stunts and twists and simulated pressures and all this fun stuff that they get to break out on third downs. Well, you can't break that out on third downs if, you know, the offense is moving the ball on first and second down and keeping it in third and short and out of the chains and all that good stuff. So, you know, the run defense kind of spills into the rest of it. But then, you know, I definitely think Danico Autry's presence was was or, or absence was felt. Um, you know, they just didn't have a ton of uh, juice in the pass rush in this game for whatever reason. Um, Jeffrey Simmons only had one pressure and was pretty invisible for for really almost all of this game. I, I remember seeing him a couple times on some run stuffs, but you know, it was not an impactful performance from him. He he has not looked right to me really since the Texans game, um, which kind of ironic because that was his first game coming off that ankle injury, um, and he played really well in that game. But now I'm starting to think maybe that was just the Texans' <laughs> offensive line was horrific um, because the last two games he has really struggled to make any sort of impact, and I, I have to think that that ankle is is a big part of that. Um, so yeah, it, it was, I mean, it was a disappointing performance, but still at the end of the day, you gave up 20 points and most of the time against a, the Bengals who are one of the better offenses in the league, you will take that. Um, but they just, you know, this team needs that defense to be better than, than what it is. And, um, mm-hmm. they weren't. So if you, l- let me throw this piece out there and see if I'm just an idiot fan watching, or if there's any correlation here. Ian Eagle brought up on the broadcast at one point that the Titans don't actually rush a lot of defenders at the quarterback. They just rely on the pressure up front to get to the quarterback. Would you want to see the Titans rush more, try to switch it up a little bit to create pressure? Or do you feel like this is just a bad game and the Titans are okay with relying on their front to get pressure? I think it was a bad game more more than anything. Because, I mean, really the Titans' defensive identity has been you know, they don't blitz. Like they, they just don't, don't bring extra guys and that has helped them. And that's helped them be one of the best teams in the league on third downs and, and really do uh, an excellent job this year. So it's part of like, I feel like their identity defensively. Um, So I wouldn't want them to really deviate from that too much. Um, But certainly in this game, you know, with no Autry and and, uh, Simmons that look less than a hundred percent, um, they struggled because, I mean, you know, Demarcus Walker, Mario Edwards, and Bud Dupree all had three presser, pressures each in this game. Um, but nobody really was dominant. I mean, those those three guys, you know, were the only ones that had multiple pressures. So, you know, you got almost nothing out of Rashad Weaver uh, in this game. You got really nothing out of Jeffrey Simmons. Kevin Strong was pretty invisible. Uh, Tier Tart did nothing as a pass rusher. So. Um, they definitely miss miss Autry um, and miss healthy Simmons. So I, I think getting those two guys 
back healthy and on the field together would solve a lot of these issues organically. But I don't know when that's going to happen because, you know, Autry didn't go on IR. So, you know, that's a good sign that maybe he could be back in the next couple weeks. But, uh, you know, Simmons has been playing with his ankle now for about a month. And it looks like it's not getting a whole lot better since he was questionable going into this game. Um, it's still, you know, missing some practice reps and stuff like that here and there. So, uh, you know, it definitely seems like he's not fully there yet. Uh, and they need him to be. They, they, it, to be who this defense needs to be, they need Simmons and Autry to be a part of it because at some point you just can't lose all your guys up front and still expect to be productive. So Derrick Henry, 38 rushing yards on the ground, two point, averaging 2.2. Um, and then ironically was the um, leading receiver for the game with 79 yards. But let's start with the rushing piece. What's wrong? What happened there? I, I saw a comment during the game, and I somewhat agree with it, that Henry, while he still is, you know, has been putting up great numbers this year, doesn't seem to be breaking that long run like most Titans fans are are used to seeing. Are either one of those his rushing yards on Sunday or what I just mentioned a concern? Yeah, I do think so because, I mean, Part, big part of his value has always been the fact that he's able to break off those long runs and and become a threat to create explosive plays. I mean, this this offense has struggled to create explosive plays this year. Um, when they were at their best in 2019, that was what they did at a, a you know league best kind of level. Um, so it's definitely a concern that those are not happening. Now, I think the reason for that is – partially due to you know maybe henry's lost a, a step um I, I don't think he looks as explosive still you know and and that's been true all year um as he was in 2019 and 2020 but that's the reality for a late 20s running back especially one at you know 250 plus pounds coming off of a, a foot surgery um so i think there's that element of it but i think the bigger thing really is is the offensive line the offensive line not creating any room. They're not able to win one-on-one battles um, in the trenches, especially against – and look, this this Cincinnati front, I, I think some of the numbers are a little misleading for them full season because they were without DJ Reader for a big chunk of the year. Uh, DJ Reader's one of the best run-defending nose tackles in the NFL. Um, he was back, looked like he was fully healthy in this game. Uh, him, Sam Hubbard, and Trey Hendrickson are great football players, All all three of them, really, really, really good run defenders and the other thing the other thing that comes into the mix here is defenses are playing henry in a very specific way now they they, it started really with denver uh and now it's been copied for two consecutive weeks teams are running a basically a bare front against the titans and it's the same strategy uh that that bill belichick used against the rams in the super bowl and i guess it was 2000 2018 season super bowl 53 um and basically what that means is they are loading the interior of the line of scrimmage. So they are covering center guard or guard center guard. So they've got three interior defensive linemen lined up, you know, basically from, from guard to guard on the inside. And then they're bringing down two edge defenders on the outside. And then they're just sitting a, a linebacker um, off. So it, it basically they're running like a five, one front instead of, 
you know, like a four, two against nickel or, you know, against base personnel, it's, it's more of like a six, one front, um, instead of five, two or three, four, however you want to classify it. But, um, basically what they're doing is putting defensive linemen over all of the Titans offensive linemen. So they are covering up all of the offensive linemen, which keeps the offensive line from being able to get to the second level and block linebackers, which is really where they're able to create these cutback lanes and stuff like that off of uh, this outside zone look, which is, is still the Titans bread and butter run play. Um, the way that that play works is really by you create this, you know, there's two layers. So you've got the layer at the line of scrimmage where you've got, you know, guys running along the line of scrimmage. And then you've got a layer behind it with the linebackers and your, your, you know, guards or whoever is uncovered uh, out of that look, climb up to the second level and, and are blocking the linebackers. And that creates space and opportunities for those two layers to become disjointed and create holes. So when it's just a wall of bodies, that, that's what you're seeing where Derrick Henry just has nowhere to go. It's just a wall of bodies. And it's just because this defense is, they're wadding it up. They're wadding it up inside. Now, the Titans have had more passing success and, and a lot of it coming on early downs because of that look that the teams are running against them. But that is, I think, the reason, uh, you know, partially why they're having so much passing success in the last few games relative to early in the season, but also why Derrick Henry's struggling like he is. It is very hard to run against that front, um, and especially against a, a front that's as talented as what Cincinnati's is. So, um I think that's the answer to what's happening with Henry, but whether they're going to be able to to solve it or not is another question. Cause really the way that you would beat a bear front would be to get the, the runs out to the edges, which, you know, you would look at like using like crack toss or something like that to kind of pin the edge and, and get a, get a guy uh, or get Henry outside and, and on the edge. But they have been horrible at crack toss this year. Like they have basically abandoned using it almost. Uh, because they tried to use it, you know, I, I, you probably remember against Buffalo, seeing all those toss plays that they were running uh, that were just getting dropped for losses over and over and over again. They basically have taken it out of the playbook, and that's one of the counters that you would run to this front. And then the other one is just passing on them. And, and I think to me, that's got to be the answer for the Titans, that they've just got to be able to pass the ball uh, until and make it hurt for defenses enough that they'll abandon using this bear front against them because that's that's they've got to get them out of it because they're not going to just stop running the ball but they've got to make the passing attack more have a little bit more bite to it so that teams are are more concerned with giving them this look mike i have the solution you got it and titans twitter has the solution too oh of course you fired on downing right now <laughs> <laughs> Mike, why? okay, so listen, I I have my own problems with Todd Downing, okay, and and I have my own problems with I I I don't mind the Titans' offense being run heavy, but I, I think that the um, passing game is completely misused. Not to mention any names, Jeff Swain, but uh, <laughs> but explain to me and everyone else why firing your offensive coordinator mid-season is a terrible idea and i think i'm just giving you the answer <laughs> yeah i mean i i mean at the end of the day like i don't think todd downing's a particularly good offensive coordinator and i've been pretty consistent on this uh from the beginning that like 
he's not that impressive. I, I don't get excited to watch what he's cooking up or whatever. Every now and then he'll throw in a wrinkle or two that I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting, Todd. Um, but it, he's not a great offensive coordinator. That being said, when you've got Dennis Daly, uh, Dylan Radins, Aaron Brewer, you know, Nate, Nate Davis, who's actually a good, good lineman. So we'll really leave him out of this slander here, but, uh, and then Nicholas Petit Frere, a third round rookie right tackle is really your like second best offensive lineman, uh, yesterday in this game. When you've got those guys out there, you're, it's tough. It's really tough. Look at what like Sean McVay is going through with the Rams right now. Sean McVay, by all accounts, brilliant offensive mind, really good, uh, you know, schemer is able to come up with creative, creative offensive game plans, all this stuff. He is absolutely like buried right now. Now, partially like this week, of course, like Bryce Perkins was starting and last week, John Walford was starting. I get, I get like no Matt Stafford, but before Matt Stafford, they were struggling offensively. Why? Because their offensive line is horrific this year. Then they're very banged up. They're very injured. Um, they lost a lot of guys and they just can't block. And when you cannot block, you get so boxed in offensively because what can you do? Like it, there's just nothing in football that does not require you to be able to block offensively. Uh, you know, if you want to run like some quick game, you know, stuff like that. Sure. Maybe that helps a little bit, but then eventually defenses are going to come up and tee off on that. Right. They're going to start jumping routes and, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, you've got to have another uh, option. So it, to me, like, yeah, sure. You fire downing, whatever. Like, I just don't think Tim Kelly's going to make this any different or better, or uh, that it's going to be some like miraculous light comes on and and suddenly the Titans are scoring thirty five points a game and, and can't be stopped. Like at best, at best, you see some like marginal improvement, and maybe that's all they need. Like that, I guess that would be the argument for doing is, hey, maybe you get some marginal improvement out of out of Tim Kelly and and that is enough to win you a game or two or or whatever. Um I just don't think that's going to happen and frankly like it's it's un it's unlikely that that Brable's going to do anything mid-season either way just because it's very disruptive. Like it's very disruptive yeah, to the entire team that like this guy that has been in charge of all the offensive meetings, you know, it, communicating with the quarterback constantly is suddenly gone and this new guy's in there and he's having to co completely form a relationship with Tannehill. Like Tannehill, I'm sure knows Tim Kelly to some degree, um, but he hasn't been working hand in hand with him for weeks and weeks and weeks and years and years at this point. Um, he doesn't have that relationship and that quarterback play caller relationship is critical. Like I guarantee you like Tannehill has real input on what is in the game plan every week. Also, you know who has real input into what's in the game plan every week? Mike Vrabel. Yeah. If Mike Vrabel absolutely was, you know, and, and by the way, like this goes for personnel usage too, because I know a lot of people get on Todd Downing's case about why is Jeff Swaim in there? Why is Cody Hollister in there? Blah, blah, blah. Like, why isn't Chig getting more snaps? If Mike Vrabel wanted those guys to get more snaps, 100% certain they would be getting more snaps. So, if you want to cast blame on Todd Downing because he's the easy scapegoat, I get it. But like Vrabel, if those are your complaints, then you've got to lump Vrabel in with that too. Because Vrabel is, if he's, you know, it's one of those things like if you're not uh, 
if you're not coaching it explicitly, you're allowing it to happen. Um, he's allowing it to happen at the end of the day because it is his team. If he says, Todd Downing, we're, we're running all passes this game, it's going to be all passes. Like, it, there's zero doubt about it. So it's, it's not like he's just powerless to put Chig into the game <laughs> or anything like that. Um, yeah, so I, that's why I, I just think Downing has become – the easy scape. It's true. Like this is the case with every NFL market and every team. Like the yeah. offensive coordinator is always the easiest guy to just be like, oh, this guy sucks. You know, I knew this play was coming. Um, because I told my buddy, you know, right before, hey, they're gonna run it here. Um, sure. Okay, yeah. Uh that is the easiest thing to pick apart. And I mean, people do it all the time. Like freaking <laughs> Ohio State fans. Ryan Day has lost five games in like four years. Uh, and they are I, I, I put, stupid. It's like 47 and five or something like that. Yeah. And and uh I put a, a post up about on Twitter about um, you know, hey, the, the I saw Ohio State fans were going nuts about you know getting beat by Michigan and whatnot. And, and yeah, hey, I get it. Um, but <laughs> they're going nuts about him. Fire Ryan Day, all this stuff, you know, this guy's an idiot. And I'm like, oh yeah, the Titans should, you know, they they should. Ohio State should fire him so the Titans can hire him as OC, which, you know, by the way, was Vrabel's first choice as offensive coordinator when he was hired and, and got turned down, obviously, because he took the Ohio State job um, as the head coach. But, like, Day is a good offensive mind. Like, he is coordinated – he coordinated, you know, extremely good teams under uh, Urban Meyer. He, uh, you know – it has his record at Ohio state is incredible and people think he's an idiot and knows nothing about football because he's lost to Michigan twice. Now it is unbelievable how quick people, you know, decide that a coach who has spent his whole life dedicated to this craft and is at the top of his profession is just a moron and doesn't know what he's doing because, you know, they, they watched a game and, and can, you know, and said it was going to be a run on, on second and six. And it was run. Um, I, I just, the offensive coordinator bashing is such an easy target, easy scope, scapegoat thing. And it just, it's kind of uh, annoying to me sometimes because it's like, we need to be able to have a nuanced discussion about, yes, maybe the offensive coordinator isn't great. I, again, like, I don't think Downing is great. I think he's at worst or at best, like average uh, and most likely he's below average as, as an NFL play caller goes. I don't think he should be back next year. I hope they go another direction. That said, I don't think he's the only issue. I don't think he's the like dragging this, this otherwise amazing offense down. Like half the people that are, are bitching about Todd Downing and saying he needs to be fired. And, and if he was fired, this team would be great. Uh, are the same people that wanted Tannehill gone last offseason because he was yeah. the one holding back the offense. So is it Tannehill that's holding back the offense, or is he good now and, and it's Downing's fault? Or is it the the wide receivers that you all bitched about uh, during the trade deadline and, and said Jerry Judy would fix this team or whatever? Or is it the offensive line that everyone bitches about? Look, they're all problems. They are all problems in their own way. So we can have a nuanced discussion about it. We can say – yeah, Todd Downing probably isn't good, but also uh, this offensive line is terrible and is 
not going to be able to be conducive to a good high performing offense either way. Uh, so yes, we can talk about other problems besides Ton Downing and, and just like, I, and I get the, like some of the DUI stuff has been like, to me, a little disgusting the way people are like turning it into a big joke and stuff like that. Like I, the guy made a huge mistake and like, he deserves to take his lumps for that. But like, like we don't have to call him DUI downing and, and all this other stuff. Like just let's, let's be a little bit grown up about some of this stuff. Like it is, you know, a guy's family and a guy's life here uh, that we're talking about. And just because he doesn't call your favorite play for your favorite team uh, all the time, doesn't mean that he's not a human being with a, uh, with, you know, a life and in the family here. So just a little bit of grace, a little bit of grace is all I'm asking for. I read you all's comments on Twitter and I hear you all call into radio shows. You're the last people who need to be talking about substance abuse problems. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just put out there because if some of you are sober typing this shit or calling in, I don't know what to say to you. Um, all right, Mike, I've got two burning questions for you. <clears throat> Number one, is my irrational over-the-top hate for Jeff Swain justified? Look, Jeff Swain. I, I, stand. I don't know why he's in the lineup. I can't stand it when he's out there. I, I said it this morning in our chat. I blame global warming on Jeff Swain. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, so I think here's how I would put Jeff. Jeff Swain is largely in the same category as Downing to me. Like, yes, he's not very good. I agree. The Titans need to find a better blocking tight end. However, if you put Austin Hooper in there and ask him to be the blocking tight end and you want to see the run game get even worse, that is what's going to happen. Because while Swaim isn't very good as a blocker, he is better than Austin Hooper. He is better than Chega Conqua, who, yes, I think is a good blocker for what they ask him to do. They ask him to, to execute very different blocks than what they asked Swaim to do. They asked Swaim to go in and block defensive ends one-on-one. They asked Chig to go in and, and make a slice block or kick out block on a linebacker. It's two very different blocks. Those are two very different tasks that they're asking him to do. So I don't, I, while I agree, like seeing every time you see Jeff Swaim get thrown the ball, it's like, you know, the your pity, your stomach just drops out because it's like, Oh God, something bad's about to happen. Um, but He's only been targeted 12 times this year. And maybe that is 12 too many. Sure. But like, that's one a game. That's one target a game. So I, I just don't, I know, I know people don't like Swaim. I don't like Swaim. I, I don't think he's a good player. Um, I thought he was good or like good or <laughs> listen to me. Um, I, <laughs> I thought he was better earlier in the year as a blocker than he has been lately. Like he's been really bad the last couple of weeks. Um, and I don't know what's going on there, but uh, he was better as a blocker earlier in the season. And if he got back to that, I'd actually be okay with him just, you know, having his normal snaps. It's, it's okay. And I also think like the other thing that people have gotten way been out of shape on, it seems to be like this idea that because they mostly run the ball when Swaim is in, like at a 70% clip or something like that, that they're just tipping their hand. They're tipping their hand. They, you know, everyone knows they're going to run when Swain's in the game. Well, that's kind of true in that, like, yes, it is more likely to be a run, but they are also in situations, they use them in situations where they are more likely to run anyways. Um, and while 70% is 
a pretty decent amount. It's also not an amount that's like, oh, well, now they they absolutely know it to run. They don't have to worry about the pass at all. Uh, they're just going to charge down, you know, downhill as soon as the ball snapped and forget their pass responsibilities. That's not really the way it works. You know, that that is if they did that, then on the 30 percent that the Titans were passing the ball, they'd be scoring touchdowns on like every single one of them. Right. So it's um, the play tipping thing. And, and like there was a big to do about this with Trent Williams and his stance. And he had he has a run stance and a pass stance. And someone was pointing it out that, you know, you can tell if the Niners are running or passing based on Trent Williams stat, stance, like, you know, nine times out of ten. and like. Almost every offensive lineman that's active on Twitter came out and said, yeah, every offensive lineman has a run stance and a pass stance. And like, it doesn't really matter if they know what's coming, because guess what? They also use their run stance for their play action stance. So is it a run or is it play action? Or do they, or they also use their pass stance for a draw play. So is it a pass or is it a draw? So there, there are, yes, there are tips uh, that they're probably giving away with certain personnel groupings. Like they usually, don't run the ball when Traylon Burks is is on the field. Uh, they're usually throwing it because they're trying to get him out there and use him in the passing game as much as possible. But they will run the ball sometimes when Traylon Burks is on the field. So I I don't think that's quite as big of a deal as people are making it out to be um, right now. But yeah, I, I to get back to the original question, Swaim is bad. Yes, I agree. I don't think he's going to lose his job because that's not a job that Hooper or Chig can really do. Like, I just don't believe that they can do it. Like if they can, then, then I, I wish they would prove me wrong and like show, show that on tape. Um, but so far I haven't seen anything to say that, that I think they would do well in that role. Jeff Swain, best wide receiver on the team. You heard it right from my heart. <laughs> you can follow him at vesseltheliomabook.net. Um, so question number two. Why didn't the Titans just go get Robbie Anderson? He clearly is the answer. <laughs> is, is Robbie still negative for the season? Uh, no, as a he Cardinal? recorded one catch for 17 yards yesterday. Oh, no. This is horrible news. This is horrible news. He now has, what, positive 11 yards? I think I'm reading it correctly. Yeah, he's got like 13 yards in seven games. <laughs> what, the Titans could have had that. They could have had an extra 13 yards. And damn it, you know, that the season could be different right now. Um, God, Robbie Andrews, I, I hope he goes back negative. I, I really, that was one of the things I, I was really rooting for. I wanted him to finish with negative receiving yards as a Cardinal. So, Mike, while I'm thinking about it, and, and we can come back to this, because damn it, Zach's not here, so it's my show today. Um, <laughs> do you not find, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, do you not find the whole Will he or won't he or where's he going? Odell Beckham Jr. shit exhausting. I find it absolutely exhausting. He's obviously just ring hunting. He's sitting around waiting for the team that is obviously going to have the most or probably one of the easier paths into the Super Bowl. I, I just, I don't know. I kind of find that disgusting. It's his life and it's his career and he has the purview to do that. But I just, I'm very exhausted with national media, local media, whatever fawning all over the woo he's he flew to wherever and got thrown off a plane in Miami like that means he's going to the Saskatchewan Raiders like I, I don't I don't understand this desire to have a man on your team who is only in it to try to get a, a quick ring that it's kind of disgusting to me yeah I'd, I don't really get it either like and here's the thing that I don't understand with Odo Beckham they he's clearly a very good receiver when he's right and everything 
he is still only like nine months removed from ACL surgery. He tore that sucker in February. Uh, it, it is not like he tore it in the middle of the season and is, is approaching like 12 months recovery time or anything like yeah. that. He tore it nine months ago. Um, the chances of him actually being like Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham at any point this season, even in the playoffs is super low. Like it, it is, there's a better chance that he finishes with like, you know, 10 catches for, you know, 97 yards and a, a touchdown, you know, over the last six games or however many ends up playing for whoever he signs for, which at this point I'm assuming it'll be the Cowboys just because like there's, there's so much heavy flirting going on uh, both ways on that one. Uh, and it just kind of feels right. Doesn't it? Um, but I I just don't think he's going to matter. I, I think we're wasting all this time like on Odell watch when it, I really just don't think he's going to make a big difference for whatever team he lands on. And, and I'll gladly eat crow if he goes off in the playoffs and is, you know, carries his team to a Super Bowl or something, but I just don't see that happening. So one of the questions that you, you posed to me today when I was trying to figure out what we were going to talk about was um, physicality. And that was something I thought about during the game as well. The, the Titans seemed to get out physical, which didn't, that didn't seem right. Right. It's like yeah. a, I don't know why I was going to say overpowering your father. That's really inappropriate. That's all from Cards Against Humanity. So we're just going to note that I said that and move on. But my God, (laughs) sorry. I think this is why I'm no longer on the podcast anymore. My brain is just Swiss cheese. But at least um, you didn't go to like a sad, tired cowboy. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Reference. (laughs) I played some Cards Against Humanity this past weekend. One of my favorite cards on Cards Against Humanity is just 50,000 volts straight to the nipples. <laughs> that's, that's inappropriate. I'm sorry. Let me get us back on track. Why did the Titans get overpowered by their father? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the Bengals do seem to have their number to some degree, although I, I didn't feel like they were more physical in the playoff game than the Titans. I just felt like they got lucky with a few bounces of the ball uh, going their way and Tannehill having a meltdown at the worst possible time. Um, but they were definitely more physical in this game, and that was kind of shocking to see. And I, I don't know if it's, you know, a deal where, like, Ben Jones and Danico Autry being out made a huge difference, and, and that would have changed things. Or, you know, if it's, you know, Jeff, like I talked about, Jeffrey Simmons not being 100%, whatever. But it was kind of shocking to see a team come into the Titans stadium and push them around like that in the trenches because I, I just – Going into this game, I was like, I even said on Twitter, I was like, uh, the Bengals, you know, sure they're without Joe Mixon, but it wasn't like they were going to be able to run the ball anyways. They ran the ball. They ran the ball just fine against the Titans defense. Now, they didn't put up huge yardage, but they they did it enough. Um, and I'm I've blown away that that happened. And I it'll be very interesting to see because the Eagles are very similar. The Eagles have really good – players in the trenches especially on the offensive line like that's the best offensive line in football and they just rushed for like what 360 yards last night against the uh uh, Packers uh, in that win so the Titans run defense and the Titans you know really on both sides of the ball on the on the lines it'll be very interesting to see kind of what their reaction is to this game because that that should be a wake up call to the to the both these guys, both the offensive and defensive lines. That you can't just come in and, and expect to roll over an opponent 
just because he sacked him nine times last year or just because, you know, you, you think you can, uh, you know, run on this group or whatever. You've got to bring it every single week. And they did not. I just felt like they were flat in the trenches for whatever reason. And, and it they got bullied and it was disappointing to see. So I, I don't know if that's a sign of things to come or if it's just a one-off, you know, hey, they had a bad game. But uh, that is something that they, I think, is firmly on my radar now to to keep an eye on against Philadelphia and then moving forward is is how does this group respond? Um, well, let's talk about the uh, elephant in the room because everyone on Twitter, and listen to my generalization, everyone on Twitter, Titans Twitter is obsessed with following A.J. Brown every single little thing that he does and doesn't and puts on social media and then quickly deletes. Um, the Titans are in Philly to play the Eagles next Sunday. Um, and A, you're coming off one of those games and they just got beat. Maybe they're dangerous as the underdog. But like you just said, let's hope that the physicality thing is not a trend that starts developing and is a one-off. Um, let's start with the obvious, with A.J. Brown. My, my, my two cents, the easiest way to handle this, Titans fans, don't follow the guy on Twitter. I felt like I said this a year ago. It's he's calm. Don't worry about it. Okay. And you yeah. know he's gonna take things personally. So just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Block him or mute him or you know, whatever, whatever you need to do. Mute, mute his name, uh, or variations of his name, you know, and it's whatever you need to do to to create your own uh, you know, AJ Brown safe space. Because yeah, it's the 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 obsession is unhealthy. Um and, and I do like getting off a little uh, a little AJ Brown joke every now and then when I can, like uh, you know the other night when he had what seven yards and a loss and and mm. uh, had just talked all that shit about the Titans receivers not getting open. I took a little shot. I'll admit it. I I enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, it, this week is going to be exhausting because that is all anybody's going to want to talk about. Uh, the closer we get to the game, the more, and you know, obviously right now people are interested in talking about the Bengals, but by Wednesday, this is going to be all about AJ Brown and the Eagles and a referendum on the Titans trade and, and everything like that. Well, the interesting thing about the trade to me is Traylon Burks is surging here as well. Um, you know, he had, obviously had the 111-yard game on Thursday night, and then he followed it up with 70 yards uh, against the Bengals, including one absolutely monster catch uh, on that 50-yarder downfield where he just went up and, and uh, high-pointed it despite, you know, the other the defensive back holding his arm down. And really, that is what it's going to be. Like, that's what the trade's going to be determined by. It's not how successful A.J. Brown is. It's going to be how successful Traylon Burks is because if Burks is – you know, even 95% of A.J. Brown, you probably got the better deal here because you got a young player who, you know, you, you're going to have more cost control for a longer period of time. Um, and, and you also got another pick, which turned into basically, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, it went through multiple trades and stuff like that. But basically you got Nicholas Petit Frere as well. So you might have got a starting right tackle and Traylon Burks for A.J. Brown. Um the tail of the tape on that trade won't be done after this game. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to tr try to determine it based off of this game. You know, that if the Eagles come out and win and AJ Brown plays well, that everyone's going to say, Oh, the Titans, what a bunch of dumbasses! They, they traded away AJ Brown. And, and here it is. The proof is proof is here that they lost the trade. It's not, we're not going to know the results of the trade for two or three years, probably. 
Um, but let's not, we don't have to make this all about AJ Brown. It's a really good Eagles team. Uh, and it's a, it's a good Titans team. And I know it's easy to like shit on them and say, well, they, they, they haven't beaten anybody good. You know, the commanders are the only team with a winning record that they've beaten. Yada, yada, yada. I get it. They need to beat a good team and they need to show that they can beat a good team. But last year's team beat all the good teams and then would lose to the Texans and the jets and, you know, all this, you know, terror, all the terrible teams. So, I, I don't know which one's better, to be honest. Like the team that just takes care of business against all the, the shitty teams and then, you know, struggles to beat the the elites or the team that beats all the elite teams and then has these fall apart games against the shitty teams. I, I'm not sure which I'd honestly prefer. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. The Titans need to show that they can compete with with top-level teams. I think they have. I mean, they they – it came down to the final possession against both the Chiefs and the Bengals, right? I mean, it was it was down to the last possession as far as who was going to win that game. Um, and to me, that that is that means they are close. They're close with these teams now. Close and winning aren't the same thing. Um, but I expect the Titans to be competitive this week. I mean, it, it it'll come down to a strength on strength to me. Like the Eagles, can they run the ball on the Titans? The Eagles are probably the best running team in the NFL Titans are the best run defense in the NFL. I mean, obviously they are coming off a relatively rough week, but I still believe this unit is the best uh, in that department and who, who wins that battle likely to, to me determines who wins the game because the Titans aren't going to be able to score up and down the field with the Eagles. In my opinion, if they're able to run the ball and and put up 40, like they did against Packers, the Titans aren't going to put up 40 points. Um, but if they can keep it, you know, closer to 20, um, you know, make the Eagles fight for it. We're only a couple weeks removed from the Eagles needing a last second touchdown drive to beat the Colts. We're only a few weeks away from the Eagles struggling to separate from the Texans. Um, the Eagles aren't necessarily a perfect team. They're a very good team, but they're not a perfect team. And I I think the Titans will compete and I, I think they'll play well enough to keep this game close. And then whether or not they're able to pull it out, I, you know, we'll see, but it's going to be an interesting matchup in a lot of ways, not just with the the whole AJ Brown thing. Yeah. And, you know, for that little AJ Brown piece, I mean, I, I, it's, to me, it's, it could really only be a boomer bust game for him because you know, he's going to want touchdowns. Oh, against the yeah. whole team, Right. So I'd almost guarantee the first play of the game will go to AJ Brown. You know, don't yeah. you feel like that's going to be, them giving him that like all right we're gonna get you going here we know you want this one um they're gonna get the if i was the titans i would almost sell out to go get aj brown on that first play uh (laughs) and make make someone else beat you with that first snap because i i I just feel it in my bones that first throw is going to aj i don't know that i'm looking forward to this one i um it's mainly because of the aj brown stuff because as much as I ignore him on social media, um, there's too many people out there that follow me that share his mess or stories about him and all that. And so it does, you know, I'd love to tell you that it doesn't bother me. It bothers me a little bit, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, but, uh, you know, the Titans play well in the underdog card. Um, I think really to me what bothers me is that this is it. It's in Philly. 
if it were here in Nashville, I, I would feel a lot better about this game. But that is a that's a super hostile environment that just feeds off the anger of the opposing team getting beat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it will be, uh, yeah, it'll be a rowdy environment. I'm sure, um, you know, they will be, I'm sure they will be all whipped up for AJ too. Um, you know, and, and wanting for him to show how smart they are and how dumb the Titans are and whatnot. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those games too, where you almost wonder if AJ's going to be too hyped up for it. Um, you know, because yeah. I don't know that that always is a good thing, especially at the wide receiver position where I feel like you can be kind of, you know, Oh, you know, trying to do too much, which, you know, in the last couple of weeks, he's, he's had a couple of plays where he's been trying to break tackles and gotten the ball ripped out and stuff like that. And, you know, the Titans are going to be hunting the ball when he does have it in his hands uh, in this game, because he's put that on tape that, you know, he'll, he'll put it on the deck. Um, and the Titans are, are always aggressive about going after the ball anyway. So there's going to be some interesting stuff to watch as, as far as that specific part of the matchup goes. But, yeah, it, it is going to be a tough game. And it's – again, it's kind of a, a response game. Like, do you respond to being bullied in your home stadium or not? You know, and, and if they turn around and go get bullied in Philly, then I think we probably need to readjust our expectations back to – uh, this is this is this team is probably going to win the division, but it's it's a one and done kind of mm-hmm. uh, playoff fodder. So it's it's an interesting game from that standpoint. Um, and really, from all standpoints, it, it, I, I'm ready for it to get off the schedule, though, and for us to be able to move on to games against other teams, because it's kind of been one of those ones that's been lingering out there all year. And I've been dreading this week uh, all year just because I don't particularly enjoy talking about the A.J. Brown thing. Um, but here it is, and and we'll get our fill of it, I'm sure. Mike, would you like to talk about the Auburn Tigers? Yes, I would. <laughs> so for those that are living in Iraq, <laughs> the Auburn Tigers are looking for a head coach, and uh, we're we're pretty hot and heavy for for Ole Miss's Lane Kiffin, and all the reports leading for several weeks for that we're looking towards and leaning towards. Um, someone announcing Lane Kiffin to Auburn shortly. Now, some reporter out of Alabama, local reporter, tried to do that, said that it was going to be announced on Black Friday. Lane Kiffin retweeted this and said, you got your sources wrong, so you get to troll this man for the rest of the weekend. And then those talks of Lane Kiffin quiet, or not so quietly died away, also with reports of Ole Miss signing Lane Kiffin to like an eight-year extension. Um, Excuse me, but let me get this out of the way first. I'm an Ole Miss fan. I think I've said that on this podcast before. So you can call my opinion biased or whatever. But I do need to say that about Lane Kiffin, I, I totally know the man is a mercenary and expect him to leave at any point. Um, so if you want to question his integrity, <laughs> which we're going to come back to in just a second, by all means do. Um, but now it is apparent and possibly being leaked by Hugh Freeze himself, that Auburn is pretty hot and heavy for Hugh Freeze. Also a former Ole Miss coach, left under very interesting circumstances, is now the head coach of Liberty Football, and for whatever reason has not been hired by any other Power 5 school since, but yet Auburn wants this man, which leads me to this point. Will Herring, uh, is he a former linebacker? 
I got to look on his Twitter feed. Uh, he played right. for Auburn. Um, he is a former linebacker uh, of Auburn. Tweeted out a video this morning, or maybe it was yesterday, of him saying that other coaches, other teams in the SEC and in college football might be able to tolerate winning without integrity, but that Auburn is not one of those teams. Lane Kiffin does not have any integrity, so as he quotes it in the video, bye, we're done with you, bye, get out. Yet, Hugh Freeze does have integrity because he knows Hugh Freeze's daughter through a friend at church, and this man is of the utmost integrity. Michael, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this statement? Jesus. Hey, I, what, Jesus. Why, why wouldn't other teams hire Hugh Freeze? Did he ever do anything uh, that might be uh, against his own integrity? Let me um, think. Um, there was the – oh, he did call hookers on his state and university-issued <laughs> cell phone. That was a problem. I, the, that was a little problem. Hookers. hookers on on recruiting visits. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, so that, that little issue. Um, and apparently it was like a, a – like repetitive issue uh oh yeah no this was and and it's now come out since some of this stuff is like message board fodder and stuff but apparently it was quite inappropriate when he coached at Briarcrest high school in memphis um the hooker thing at old miss was the quote stated reason why they got rid of him there was apparently quite a other bit of stuff going on with females and impropriety and and that, and then of course, the one that is absolutely no laughing matter. There were students that came out at Liberty University that were accusing staff members of sexual assault, sexual impropriety, and he started going after these students, all of them female, on Twitter, getting in their DMs, telling them why they're wrong. I mean, this man is disgusting. Yeah. But yet, a coach in Lane Kiffin who will leave kids high and dry—that's your level of what makes a person have no integrity. There's just so much wrong with this video. I just want to literally print it out somehow and throw it in the trash it, it was an yeah it was an insane watch i'd highly re- recommend everyone going and finding that video and watching it and laughing at it because it, it is like knowing the background of those two coaches hilarious to, to listen to someone preach about integrity uh and basing it solely on i know someone who goes to church with his what like daughters or something daughters or something yeah it's like okay come on now we're we're really church washing this thing uh, pretty hard to try to get, you know, hey, you know, her daughter's real nice at church to, uh, you know, well, Hugh has to be a man of integrity then. That's a pretty big leap to take there. Uh, and yeah, Lane Kiffin, like, Lane to me, I love him because he is, uh, I feel like he re- realizes who he is and just is fully steered into being like the world's biggest troll um, as, as like a persona. Um, And I love it because it's entertaining and it's probably somewhat honest too. Um, You know, just kind of pointing out some of the, the, you know, hypocrisies and and things like that, that uh, coaches probably most coaches wouldn't go anywhere near, but um, yeah, the, the idea that like somehow, Hugh Freeze is is more uh, has more integrity than Lane Kiffin is is crazy to me. Um, like, what's the worst thing Lane Kiffin ever did? I mean, it, I, obviously, there's the stories about him at UT and you know driving and whatnot and underage girls, all alleged. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't I don't know about or not underage girls, but college girls. Um, but 
You just took that down, down a whole different road. Right, yeah, we could have got a totally different path there. But <laughs> those are the same things Hugh Freeze did. And besides that, the, the other thing, uh, or really, it's not not even quite as bad probably as what Hugh Freeze has, has been accused of doing. Um, and then the other thing is he left UT uh, for his dream job. Like, Right. I, I it just – the Lane Kiffin villain thing is – to me ridiculous like he's not a villain he's just a troll like he's he's yeah. a troll head coach he's fine he's yeah, my, my brother was asking me last week he said you know you've seen this the lane kevin stuff is it true do you think he's going to leave old miss my brother is a graduate of old miss so he's a lot more invested in the football team than i am and i said look it's lane kiffin so my brain tells me to not put anything past him i thought but it would be pretty ballsy to tweet out the you know the infamous tommy tuberville they're going to have to take me out of Old Miss in a pine box. And then he literally left Old Miss like not long after that. I said it would be pretty ballsy for him to tweet out the, uh, an image of the pine box and then start going after this reporter heavy. I mean, he he went after anyone who would quote tweet, or, or I'm sorry, he would retweet anyone who was quote tweeting this article, digging on this reporter saying that he had sources and he was going to Auburn. I, I told Mark, I said, it would be pretty ballsy for him to make these statements and then leave. But then again, it's Lane Kiffin, so maybe he would do it anyway. But the other one that kind of comes to mind is a few weeks ago when um, I think it was during the Tennessee-Alabama game, Lane Kiffin tweeted out the infamous photo of him standing in the hallway of the uh, AD's office waiting to get the press conference at UT that he was leaving for USC. And it's him leaning up against the wall like it looks like he's deep in thought. And a lot of UT fans were jumping up saying, oh, this is it. This is him saying that, you know, he's – um, that he's he shouldn't have left UT and all that. I'm like, guys, you all reading in this too much. He's a troll. This is what he does. It's not. I I agree with you that I I feel like that Lane Kiffin is well aware of the missteps he took in the past and he uses it as a point of hilarity. Um, uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. He's, but I just true. I just don't. It's really hard for me to um to try to turn that around and say Hugh Freeze is the bastion of what's right and good in the college football world. I, I need I need Auburn fans and I need SEC fans to kind of understand this. Why has Hugh Freeze not accepted a job anywhere else and is still coaching at only Liberty if his coaching record was the only thing on the line? Just tell me that. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, if anyone can explain that, then uh... – and yeah, I'm all ears. But until then, let's not put this guy up on a pedestal as one of the the most holy men that you've ever heard of, and and the perfect guy to to coach it the most in the the school of the highest integrity. Which, by the way, the one national championship you won in the past whatever uh, was won by the the quarterback who was kicked out of Florida for stealing laptops. Is that right? And then famously uh, paid was offered what 150 grand or something to go to Mississippi state and, and turned it down to go to Auburn, which, you know, means I'm guessing they didn't pay him less than 150 grand uh, would be, uh, would be my guess. But yeah, you know, by, by all means, Auburn is definitely the most righteous and, and holy of, of programs uh, you know, really, you know, God's chosen program, I believe uh, is what it seems. Well, and then let's put out there that, it was Auburn boosters that were leaking earlier this year that Brian Harson was apparently cheating on his wife with a cheerleader. So let, let's just, let's not go down the road of who is righteous in this world. And that Auburn is this, 
bastion of perfect Christian forgiving of if we're going to bring Hugh Freeze in, if your program was the one that was leaking infidelity stories about Hartson just because you didn't have the balls to just outright fire him. I mean, come on, just, what are we doing here? I think the best thing they should do, which is the wrong move to make, but I think they just give Cadillac Williams another year and then go after another candidate. And he's not, he's certainly not going to be like a, a phenomenal X's and O's coach who's going to get you a perfect season or a one loss or a two loss season, but damn, that team has bought in for him. So why not just give him one more year while you do an actual coaching search instead of hitching your name to Hugh Freeze, who by the way is going to do something else. I mean, do you, you think yeah. the man's just going to show up and be completely transparent about what he's doing? No, he's going to get a burner phone and he's going to start right over again. Yeah. He'll probably just be smarter <laughs> about the way that he actually goes about uh, doing the horrific things that he does Yes, uh, this time around. Yes. That'll be the lesson that he will have learned. All right, Mike, the last question, college football question I've got for you. Texas is eight and four. They just beat Baylor. Is Texas back? No, we're not back. We're not back. Uh, look, we, we had a decent season. I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I thought before the season, if you'd asked me what Texas's record was going to be, I would have said eight and four. Um, because I thought, the, but the reasons would have been wrong. Like, because I would have thought that the offensive line would have struggled. I, I would have thought they would have had, like, real trouble pass protecting and stuff like that. The offensive line turned out to be really good. They've got, like, a real stud in their true freshman left tackle, Kelvin Banks, and, and like, they've got a, a pretty good offensive line. It's young. Like, that group's going to be really good in a couple years. Um, but Ewers, like, really kind of struggled down the stretch. Uh, he kind of seemed to lose it a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what he looks like next year. But I think next year – and look, I, people are going to laugh at me for saying this. <laughs> I think next year is going to be the, the year that they're actually back. And, and now it'll be dependent on what they lose in the transfer portal, uh, what they lose to the draft, stuff like that. We'll see kind of how the attrition works over the next month here. But I think they could be actually back next year. God is damn next, it. Is, God damn it. Don't put this and send it back to me next uh, next when they're fucking you know seven and five and you know we're talking about firing sark i can't wait to retweet this podcast tomorrow with quote michael says texas is back um so <laughs> is next year the arch manning um yeah i truly don't know i mean i know he's Ar committed but when when is he expected to play so he will officially sign uh next month uh and be an early enrollee assuming something weird doesn't happen but i i can't imagine he's actually going to change his commitment. Um, quarterbacks just rarely, rarely do that. And one of his stature with the way he did that decision process, I don't think he's going to change his mind. Uh, but yeah, he'll enroll in the spring and then it'll be, I guess it'll be a competition between him and, uh, and Quinn Ewers. And also they've got a couple other uh, young quarterbacks on the roster that are pretty, were pretty highly recruited Malik Murphy being one of them. But, <laughs> I don't think Arch is going to start next year. I think it is going to be Ewers' job. I think they'll probably have Ewers for another year, and then we'll see you know, how that year goes as to whether or not he probably goes pro. But the idea has always been that Arch would redshirt his freshman year, and then he'd probably start in 2024 uh, as a redshirt freshman. So I think that's probably the way this goes, but who knows? I mean, if Ewers – struggles or just doesn't you know have a great offseason and arch comes in and looks like the real deal right away it wouldn't totally shock me if he just came in and stole the job and uh started you know as a true freshman that would be a little surprising but not totally shocking
Mike, I dislike Texas A&M, and I pretty much think it's Jonestown with a football team. Um, yes. Are they wrong to storm the field after beating then 9-2 and two and then fifth-ranked LSU? It didn't prevent LSU from doing anything. They're still going to the SEC championship game. I, I Is it just me not liking Texas A&M, or did they have a reason to storm the field? I think it's a little cheesy for them to storm the field in that case because, like, like when Tennessee stormed the field for beating Bama, I understood it because it, Bama, at the time, Bama was undefeated. Oh, yeah. I loved every bit of that. No, did Bama, Bama was like, first or second in the country. Uh, and Tennessee hadn't beaten Bama in forever. And, like, it was – that was – if you were ever going to storm the field, that was the time to do it. A&M storming the field when, like, your season is swirling the toilet. Uh, you're you're – <laughs> Your fans have spent literally half the season uh, talking about whether they can raise enough money to fire Jimbo Fisher or not. <laughs> like, because they would owe him like a hundred million dollars if they fired him for nothing. They have to pay him a hundred million dollars to go away, which would be unbelievable. Um, like, <laughs> I just can't even fathom uh, Jimbo Fisher laughing his ass to the bank to collect that check uh from these rich oil donors in in uh college station but to storm the field with all that going on because you beat a nine and two team like look lsu had a really good end of the season but they weren't they weren't one of the best teams in the country to me like i guess they're one of the best by like and they're they're about as good as tennessee they're about you know they're they're top 10 top 15 ish but like to me, if you're going to storm the field, it needs to be because you beat somebody who was like undefeated or or at most had one loss. You can't storm the field after – I'm going to just say it. Blanket statement. Don't care who it is. You don't storm the field after beating a two-loss team unless unless it would be something like, I don't know, uh, Vanderbilt beating like a two-loss Tennessee team or something like that that was ranked in the top ten. And, you know, Vanderbilt beat them for the first time in forever or, or something like that. But A&M isn't Vanderbilt. Uh, close, close, but not Vanderbilt. And <laughs> words to Vanderbilt. I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed this, this season in College Station quite a bit. Because uh, all, the, all the chess beating after that number one uh, recruiting class and all this and uh, I've got some bookmark tweets uh, out there from some people talking about uh, and I think there's one of them that was like, bookmark this tweet, uh, A&M will win a national championship in the next five years. Uh, and that was like a couple years ago. Um, so we're two years into that and, and they're at four and or five and seven now. And they're trying to figure out if they can afford to fire Jimbo Fisher or not. So not looking great on that one. I'm, Mike, I'm surprised you don't have a website that says, has Texas A&M won a national championship game? And you click a link, it just says no. Um, I, I, I just, I've been rolling around in the shit that is that season all year. It's been the best thing that's happened to me. really, honestly, I mean, if, if it were my child that calls me and says, I am in jail because I stormed the field after beating LSU, I think I'd let him sit there for 24 hours. <laughs> that's a, that is the definition of a stupid decision. Yeah, it is. It is. is yeah, yeah, it's like, what are we doing? You here? don't do that. <laughs> what a mess. Like, I have missed talking college football with you. I do too. It's 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 good fun, and I'm sad that the the college football season is coming to an end here. Oh, I know. That's I was just thinking about that the other night. I mean, we just now have championship games, 
and then then the long slog through bowl games that no one likes until you start getting to towards the playoff and the New Year's Day bowls. Oh, gross. Um, yeah, bowl games are so sad now. All right, I'm gonna keep you for about two more minutes, and I'm gonna let you go because I know we have abused our time on this podcast today, but. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the World Cup, mainly because we have a mutual friend in in uh, Brian Titus who went to the World Cup and shared some thoughts with uh, with Mark after he left about how um, this was ma- mainly a dude dominated World Cup from his <laughs> from his reports. A, he said it's it looked and kind of felt like the fire festival where everything was just half ass done, half ass complete. That really does not surprise me at all. No. And B, every party that they went to every vip they went to event to was all guys it was all guys because wow. what what woman yeah. would want to go to this country you can arrest you for just being a woman so right. or, or wearing anything that showed uh you know an ankle what a debacle have you seen that fifa documentary on netflix called i think it's fifa uncovered basically just goes I... into fifa's whole corruption thing i haven't yet but it's on my list i need to watch it because i've heard it's really good it's a must watch and it just it, it I knew that FIFA was a corrupt organization leading into this. I was not aware that it was basically just founded on corruption. They were like, holy shit, we can make money from this right now. So they just went with it. And, uh, just the mob. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's it's absolutely substantial. But this World Cup is, uh, it, while it's had some entertaining games, the whole just overlay of how shitty Qatar has been about the event, banning alcohol sales 48 hours before the, before the tournament starts. What are you doing? It, it is legitimately the worst world cup that i can ever remember from just like uh i mean the the games have been fine i i'm still enjoying the entertainment of the games but like everything outside of the games usually that's fun this is this time it is not fun it is like it is like and i almost feel like the broadcast is recognize that and you know you don't see any shots like outside the stadium I'm so used to like uh, the World Cup. You you see like all these shots of these people partying and like you know the watch parties outside the stadiums and like all this other stuff. And there's none of that. Like it, there are like no shots outside the stadium from what I can see. Like it is just like, hey, here is soccer. Um, you know, there's also no, there's play. no flood pieces about the country either. You notice that? Like yeah, there's you, there's like, not Brazil, Russia, all of them had fluff pieces where it was like oh here's you know a community that grew up loving soccer there's none of that they're just like games here's alexi lawless being pissed at how the u.s is playing and then we're going right back to another match exactly and i i actually enjoy those puff pieces just because like they are it, like it gives you something to learn about the country sure, and whatnot yeah. and like you always get something out of it and that's always part of the fun of it but this is not fun like there's nothing fun about this it is uh a miserable, miserable decision by uh, FIFA to to have this event here, like on so many levels. Um, and you know, you just—it's just insane. Um, but I am enjoying watching it, and I, I do hope the U.S. beats uh, uh, Iran and and is able to advance. Well, tune in in four years when FIFA is going to award the world award the World Cup to North Korea. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least. Um, you know, maybe maybe this uh, World Cup in what twenty twenty six in the U S will be. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that one will be less of a shit show, uh, and, and hopefully, uh, maybe that this one will maybe at some point before twenty thirty is awarded, we can uh, find a way to like overthrow FIFA somehow. Like that, how do you how do you get rid of them? Like you know that that 
Like, what are they? Uh, what are they bringing the ta- the table here? I don't know. There's a large contingent of the country that went to the Capitol on January 6th. We might ask them, <laughs> Yahtzee, did you see how it worked that little zinger in there? So we better cut this podcast off or I'll lose any fans. <laughs> off. You notice on the live stream that like my face is slowly fading out. I feel like <laughs> I feel like, I feel like the future, when when Marty's watching his family disappear off the photograph because he's making the wrong choices in the past. Like I'm just slowly disappearing here. I don't know what's going on. Parts of my beard are gone. I'm just melting into the couch. Michael, this but, been, much like me on Thanksgiving. My, Michael, this has been a lot of fun. I have missed uh, being in front of this microphone and talking to you all. Yes, thank you, Zach. But, yeah, uh, oh, that's right. I don't say Zach Lyons under my name. <laughs> so that's it. It's football other F words, and I'm Zach Lyons because the other Zach Lyons is not here today. He's Michael Herndon. You can follow him at msnbc.com. Really appreciate you all tuning in as always. Um, do we still just say you've just been F'd? Am I about to like overstep yeah. an appetizer or anybody? No, yeah, F them. F them. You've been out. A Broadway Sports Media Production.